Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women. Their voices and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere and the founder of SayItForward.org. And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on SayItForward.org to do just that. In this podcast, you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. We want to welcome Vivian Port today as she joins us from England. Vivian is passionate about education. She was previously a head teacher in England, and she is currently co-founder and strategic leader of Women Ed. Vivian, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I am so excited to talk with you today. You did quite an amazing, in my opinion, and I'm sure when our listeners have a chance to listen to it, they will agree, TED Talk, and you shared it at sayitforward.org. And that was my first exposure to you and to your beautiful message. Your TED Talk is a celebration of uniqueness. And I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about how you decided on that topic and why it's still important to you. My TEDx talk came from my experience of breast cancer. I was through the treatment and dealing more with the side effects when I had the opportunity to do the talk. And my experience had made me very concerned about some of the ways in which I was treated by my employer and some friends in ways that I hadn't had to come to terms with previously. I felt ignored as if I had no value to contribute anymore. And I was a senior leader in the organisation in which I was working and had worked there for 11 years. So I found that really quite hard. Understanding that people sometimes don't know how to talk to somebody who is has been very ill. I understand that. I got that. But I was very open about having cancer and open about wanting to work and contribute. And I kept communications open. Some of the language that was being used towards me just didn't sit comfortably. I'd gone to work and it actually wasn't very long after I'd started having to wear a wig. So I'd felt very conscious of that going into work. And as I went in, a colleague who I knew very well said to me, you don't look very ill, Vivian. You look quite normal. And I was a bit stunned by what was said. And it wasn't until I went home later that I just really started to ponder on that. And I realized that, you know, I didn't like the way the word normal was being used because I hadn't changed. I was still whatever I had been. And it it felt as if I was being really othered, as if I was outside of the normal run of things. And I think that was the first time I really understood that if you have a difference, then you can be excluded. And then I started noticing that from then on. And I was quite shocked 
quite disturbed. I thought I should talk about that because I didn't want other people to have to feel like that. And when I really pondered it, I realised that within my close family, we were all apparently not normal because I have very close family with disabilities. I'm an ex-English teacher. So I started really pondering on the language. And then I decided that if I was no longer normal, no matter what other word anybody wanted to dress it up with, I was abnormal. And I started to get very angry then. And I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to send a positive message to say, you know, let's not think how different we are. Let's think about how each person is unique and what they bring to their community. And I I wanted it to have some humour. So I remembered the phrase that normal is a setting on a washing machine. And that was my title. And I wanted to say that we shouldn't describe people in the same way that we describe a setting on a washing machine. I'm curious about a very important point that you raised for all of us. Well, you've raised several. You were angry and you took your anger and you turned it into something positive. How did you do that? Well, I was angry for quite a while, (laughs) very definitely. (laughs) And um, no, I, I want to make sure that we can do something positive about this, as you said, in a way that people will listen rather than feel they're just being attacked or they're listening to an angry woman ranting. We have enough of those tropes, don't we? So I wanted to do something funny and positive, and I wanted to be quite serious as well. Was there something surprising that you found in sharing your story as others were listening? Do you feel like you were not alone in this? A teenager came up to me at the end of the session when everybody was starting to leave because it had been a long day. I think it was about 14, possibly. And he came and said he wanted to thank me for what I'd said because he had a disability and he was very nervous about how people treated him. And he was now going to just say, there is no such thing as normal, is there? I'm unique. Oh, and I nearly cried at that point because I thought all the practicing and all the rehearsal and sitting there all day getting more nervous It was all worth it if just one person felt more comfortable and that they weren't alone. And none of us are alone, are we? Because we're all different. Mm -hmm. We're all unique. You mentioned that you are a survivor of breast cancer, which affects so many women globally. And you talk about it. A lot of women do not because they feel that there is stigma associated. How did you become comfortable talking about the fact that you are a survivor? Um, I think I was always comfortable about saying I had cancer, but I think there can be stigma around illness and cancer is described as a disability while you have the treatment. Just like for women, there is still a stigma about menopause or infertility or a miscarriage or any of the things that women have often thought, I can't talk about this, I mustn't. And if talking about it helps people, 
and it would cert- it certainly help me, then we need to be able to do that. Um, globally, there will be millions of women experiencing breast cancer or any other form of cancer at the moment. And, and they shouldn't feel that they have to hide or they can't talk about it if they wish. Some of the health issues that we experience as a woman, rather than feeling we don't want to make other people uncomfortable by talking about what happens for us. And I think if we did have more of that voice, there'd be more improvements made to some of the way women are treated medically. I love the book Invisible Women, where the author describes all the ways in which women aren't part of the decision-making process. So things are made that don't fit us. Mm. And the perfect example is crash dummies that they put into a car with a seatbelt on to test them out. They always do the proportion of a man. So actually, it could really be very dangerous if they don't start testing out a dummy that is a woman in it. And the whole book is full of all the examples where the decisions that are made don't include women. So we need to be more voluble about our experiences and our expectations, really. And I think we would get better treatment. We read that you are passionate about education. So I'm I'm curious, what shaped your deep passion for, for education? I just always wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't think of any other option, really. Maybe my school should have opened my eyes to what other options there were because I think there was in my school you were a teacher or a nurse if you were a woman maybe there was a little bit of it where I just wanted children to have a better time at school than I did because my mother had mental health issues and so my sister and I were sometimes late or we possibly didn't look as well looked after as some of the other children. And unlike schools today where that would get flagged up, Mm. we knew the teachers knew about our family situation, but nobody ever talked to us about it. And I was a clever girl. I wanted to do really, really well, and I loved school. But I sometimes thought, would you not say something to me? And they didn't then. And, and I just didn't want any child to feel that a teacher wouldn't see them for who they are and what's happening to them. So that was important to me. But I also loved English. I wanted to teach English. I probably felt there were times teaching English and drama that it was never going to get any better than that. So I loved it, really loved it. Talk to us about Women Ed. Um, Women Ed is a grassroots movement, and our mission is to connect and support women leaders in education. I became an educator because I believe passionately in equity and fairness and morality. And yet women in schools and universities and colleges are not treated equitably when compared to men. So men are disproportionately more likely to lead an education institution, even though the global workforce in education is predominantly women. Men earn more as leaders in education than women. Women are not 
fully represented in terms of their diversity. So you don't see very many teachers who are disabled. Women who are black and want to lead are going to have a triple set of obstacles facing them. In England at a time, we didn't know the data. And when some of it came out, I, I was enormously shocked. I'd become a head teacher and I don't think I'd ever faced sexism or barriers to that. That's possibly because I can be quite bolshy and I won't put up with it. <laughs> but also I think it was because I didn't have children. So I didn't have some of the domestic issues that a lot of women face and feel that that holds them back. I also felt that things were going backwards in England compared to when I was a head teacher and I wanted to support existing and aspiring women leaders to be able to show their brilliance and what they can do because they do run education but they don't lead it in the way of leading organizations and institutions. So we wanted to change that. However, we wanted to change it only on Twitter. We were all, there were seven of us, the co-founders having a discussion on Twitter about how things were going backwards for women leaders and how women's voices on Twitter were silenced or women were told that they couldn't contribute to a discussion by a lot of men who had in education. And we weren't very happy with that. So we only started Women Ed to give women a voice on Twitter. That was our absolute aim. One of my co-founders said, we should have a little tea party. So I said, okay, I'm gonna write a blog today about this discussion and I'm going to say who wants to join in the tea party and 400 people said they wanted to join in the tea party and it's snowballed and now we have 35 networks across the globe and it's been an exponential growth over six years and that tells us the need is huge. And we face all the same issues across the globe with only the degree or the intensity changing. I, I know we are having an impact on a lot of individual women and some men, but we want to change the organisations that employ those women and men. And we want to change the systemic issues that influence the societal and the cultural responses. It's probably the most joyous thing over quite a long career that I've ever done. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about Women Ed, how would they do that? We have a website and that's womened.org. If you want to get involved in a conversation, on Twitter is best for us and that's at Women Ed. We have our newsletter that people can sign up for and the conversations are happening all the time. Vivian, so as we ask all of our guests, how can we all encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power? We're a Women Ed is a values-driven organization and confidence is one of our values. And we have learned that 10% braver, just that mantra in your head, 
absolutely builds the confidence to say, this is what I can do. This is what I want to do. What I need from you to help me to do that is, because it's that last point that women don't say enough. We're sitting there hoping that people will see our own brilliance and what we can contribute. And, and we actually have to tell people that. Men do. That's what men say. Men tell other people how great they are. And we just have to be used to doing that in our own way as a woman. We need to lead as women, not lead like a man does. So we just need to know our own strengths, our own worth, and share it and celebrate it with others. And it's not as difficult as we think it is once you take that first step. Vivian, thank you so much. This conversation has been such an inspiration um, just to hear a little bit about your story and the incredible things that you're doing because you yourself were 10% braver. So thank you so much. Um, and for our listeners, as always, thank you for making the time to listen to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast. Vivian, thank you very much for sharing your story and your determination with us. Yodi, thank you as well. And I also will thank Lisa Dejavine, who is the editor and co-producer of the Power of Stories podcast and whose voice is not heard, but who is very much present with us throughout the process of producing these podcasts. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for inviting me and listening. That's really lovely of you. And to our listeners, we invite you to visit sayitforward.org a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment. Or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino and Yodit Kifle-Smith signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the Power of Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the Power of Stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your story.